Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, September 8th, we are studying Proverbs chapter 7, verses 1 through 27. In the last of Solomon's 10 addresses to his son, the king once again warns against the allure of adultery. Wisdom recognizes the trap that is being laid for even the strong, just as wisdom recognizes the trap that is set by every sweet-sounding lie. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sam Wergau. Pastor Wergau serves at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana. Pastor Wergau, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Always great to be with you. Pastor Wergau, as we get started this morning, uh, give us just the, the overview of the book of Proverbs. Uh, what's Solomon been up to? What do we need to know about Proverbs in general, this text particularly, as we get started today? Yeah, I think what you kind of see even with seven here is going to be uh, a bit of, um, of repetition from what we've had in some of the previous chapters, dealing especially with this idea of the, uh, the uh, adulteress uh, and this idea of adultery, which we'll see kind of a bigger picture that will pan out to, because I think we need to keep in mind always in front of us as we go through Proverbs is how we can misunderstand the book. And that is, and I think how the world misunderstands the book of Proverbs or even the idea of Proverbs, uh, that the Proverbs that are spoken, written by Solomon in, in the word of God are, are different than what we would say would be like, uh, wise adages of earthly wisdom. This is divine wisdom and divine wisdom, uh, has its root not in uh, human uh, reason or strength, but in the very uh, words and promises of God. So divine wisdom always draws us to God's words of law and gospel uh, and certainly um, directs us always uh, to, uh, to um, that fundamental foundational uh, thing for the Christian, which is chief doctrine, which is that of Christ crucified for our salvation and uh, the idea of justification. So I think we'll see that kind of play out even as we go through this. So the thing is, is we just don't want to see these books of Proverbs as these uh, pithy adages or, or uh, uh, practical, practical wisdom. I mean, there's this immensely practical, but there's a bigger picture that we need to not lose sight of. And I think you really see it drawn out right at the beginning in chapter one, when you have the idea of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, fools despise wisdom and instruction, which I always see parallel so much with Psalm 111.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. So really what we see here is God's word instructing us in true wisdom, which directs us to uh, fear, love, and trust in him above all things. And so now when you get to Proverbs 7, like you mentioned at the introduction, then we're coming kind of the last of what have been, uh, I believe, uh, 10 addresses or so of father of a father to his sons, uh, which begin the book of Proverbs. And again, we're going to come up with this theme that's come up several times of adultery. Um, and and um, I think that we, we really do have an understanding here of, of our Heavenly Father addressing us, his children, in 
in, in, in true wisdom and in true understanding, not only against the breaking of the sixth commandment, which it certainly does speak about that, but in understanding properly uh, the first commandment and what uh, the sin of idolatry really is and how it relates to uh, like true versus false uh, doctrine and understanding who God is. We've we've tossed that idea around several times here in our opening studies on this, these first nine chapters of Proverbs, because the theme of adultery does come up several times, that Solomon seems to be setting the stage, laying the groundwork for more than just adultery. Certainly adultery is in view, and we will again talk about that here in chapter seven, but that there is more going on when you put it in the context of all of Scripture that will often speak this way concerning God's people that idolatry is adultery of their relationship with the one true God. And we'll, we'll pick some of those things up as we go through the text for today. We've got a good chunk of text for us, all of chapter 7 today. So I'm going to go ahead and start reading for us, Pastor Wargal. Proverbs 7, beginning at verse 1. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. All right, we'll, we'll pause there. We get this introduction here, which I think we've grown pretty accustomed to within these speeches to the sons here in, in the beginning of Proverbs, where Solomon invites his sons, calls upon his sons to listen, to hold on to this wisdom, uh, to to treasure the Word of God. What's what's here for us in these first four verses, Pastor Wargan? Oh, yeah, it's great. And it's a great parallel, I think, especially you see a parallel here with chapter chapter 2. It just kind of keeps coming up, very similar language here. Um, so we've got these themes that have already been presented. Um, it, it shows this close, intimate relationship of, of, of the teachings of God uh, with, with the individual. Um, the command there you see is, is keep my words, my son, keep my words uh, and, and treasure the commandments. So already in Proverbs 2, uh, verse 1 and 5, uh, we have my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So this idea that we have being related here with, with how, how we have God's word uh, is really significant to understand that the commandments of God, the word of God is not simply uh, about um, uh, obedience. It is that, but, but to treasure up these commandments has a more intimate or deeper relationship. I think it's to hold them, hold them dear. Uh, so it's a matter, not simply of action, but, but of the heart. And of course, from the heart uh, uh stems forth from the act stems forth the action if you will so so i think what what when i was kind of reading this and, and studying this i found so many great parallels to that first commandment uh and the relationship of that to all the other commandments that is we fear love and trust in god and we then gladly seek to keep the commandments but yet when we as sinners do not fear love and trust in him we trust in other things over God and we break all the other commandments. So the idea in the, um, uh, the command uh, of the father to his son is to uh, keep this word, to treasure it, to hold it, to hold it dear uh, so that then um, 
that, that you will, will see here that you live by it, that our life stems from this these commandments, from this word of God. And, and again, of course, it's going to be a much more deeper, proper understanding than simply um, uh, following the rules, though that is implied in this and in, in, in part of this, but keeping the word of God is that we find our life in the whole word of God. And that is we find our life in uh, that ultimate fulfillment of that word when that word is made flesh and dwelt among us as a sacrifice for sin, which of course we're going to get to. We always get to that and it should be the case. I love this phrase here too, though, to keep the teaching as the apple of your eye. Uh, and, and, and doing some uh, looking into this, I had actually never uh, uh, realized this before. Uh, but, um, of course we've heard that phrase, keep me as the apple of your eye, but that it literally means, uh, the little man of the eye. Uh, that is, it's the idea that that which is reflected in the eye when someone's watching something, holding it, keeping it dear, cherishing it, you look at it. Of course, um, Deuteronomy 32 10 for the song of Moses talks about that in relation to God and man, that he kept him as the apple of his eye and of course, Psalm 17, 8, uh, the prayer there is to God is to keep us as keep me as the apple of your eye and hide me in the shadow of your wings. So this is really neat because the father instructs the son to, to keep and hold these teachings, cherish them. But that actually stems from a, a, an even more important thing uh, and a, a more of a principle thing, if you will, of uh, the importance of us keeping God's word and holding it dear to us is because he holds us so dear to himself. We're the apple of his eye. He cherishes us. Therefore, he gives to us his word and his teaching for our good. Hmm. That that image of the apple of your eye being that which you look at and that which is reflected in your eye, that's a, that's a powerful image. It reminds me of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says the eye is the lamp of the body. And, and there, when Jesus says the eye is the lamp of your body, it's, it's what, what, is your, what is your eye looking at? And, and that tells you what your treasure is. You know, the, after that, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. That, that, that the wisdom here that Solomon is giving is to, to make the teaching of the Lord's word, the apple of your eye, keep that, your, your lamp looking there. But as you said, the, the reason for that is because of, of the way that God has looked at you, which again is where Jesus goes there in Matthew 6, where he says, you know, don't be anxious because your father is giving you all these things. You don't need to worry about money and all of these things because your father has, has given it to you. So you can, as Jesus says, seek first his kingdom, which I think, I mean, I think that pairs very nicely with what Solomon is getting at here in Proverbs chapter seven. Uh, what about uh, Pastor Wergau as, as Solomon continues? Uh, one of the, the phrases that's a, I don't think we've heard it quite yet in the book of Proverbs in verse four, say to wisdom, you are my sister, call insight your intimate friend. That seems to be a, a new image that Solomon is bringing up concerning wisdom there in verse four. Yeah. And I think that's really great, especially when we contrast it with the idea of the forbidden woman or the adulteress, which we'll talk about here in just a second, uh, uh, literally is the, the, the foreign woman, the strange, the stranger from a, from a different place. Uh, so you have the idea, and this is where we're going to, you know, of course, we're going to hit on this, the idea of wisdom versus or, or truth versus falsehood, folly, wisdom and folly, true versus false doctrine. See, true doctrine, uh, the true teachings of God, which we hold as the apple of our eye, 
are so intimately connected with us, our sister, our intimate friend, they are not, as then is described concerning the adulteress or the forbidden woman, that's something which is foreign, uh, outside. Uh, and, and, and so that's really important for us to, to hold up to say that God's teachings are so intimately uh, connected to us. It, it draws out this intimate nature of God's teaching in relationship to his children. Uh, it's not some passing body of knowledge. It's the very life of the believers. Uh, therefore, it should be kept as close as family or, or an intimate friend. Uh, and even more, the words are, are part of who the child of God is. Because right before there, you have what has been mentioned a few times, uh, at least once before in, in, in chapter three, this idea of binding it on the fingers and writing it on the tablet of the heart. I think whenever to hear heart in that sense in scripture, it's a, it's a matter of faith, right? A matter of uh, our trust in, in, in God's word and making it not just this passing um, body of knowledge, but this thing that actually gives us, gives us life. Uh, uh, and so, yeah, I think very much we understand that the, the Christian doctrine, uh, the teaching uh, of the faith is, is, a, is an intimate thing. It's, it's the, the thing by which we find our life, and therefore it is the most important uh, subject, if you will, of our, of our learning and our catechesis in, in life. Uh, I often worry that people get this idea that, uh, you know, Bible class or confirmation class or catechesis class just becomes like another class subject. And we're starting ours up now again for this uh, year, uh, just been starting in the last few weeks. Uh, and, and I try to break that, that, that false understanding of it down when we're talking about going to Bible class or going to uh, Sunday school or going to catechesis class and mid, maybe it might be a midweek confirmation class. And, and I do this with our school here too, when these kids are taking catechesis class throughout the, throughout the week that I tell them unapologetically, all that other stuff's important that you're learning, but this is the chief thing. This is what matters. All those other things will help you in your callings in life and your vocations to help live and love and serve your neighbor for sure. Reading, writing, arithmetic, all that sort of stuff. Great. But the chief thing, what sets apart our churches and our Lutheran schools and such is the teaching of God's word uh, and how we hold that sacred and dear to us. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the the picture here, you know, say to wisdom, you are my sister. I mean, and then call insight your intimate friend. It, it does it, it implies the idea of a, a constant companion, someone you're you're always talking to. Plus, I mean, as you said, the binding on the fingers, writing on the tablet of your heart, this word of God, this wisdom that He imparts through His Word, is something that is always with you. It is not compartmentalized to one hour of worship on Sunday morning and another hour of worship on, or sorry, another hour of Bible class after that, and then maybe an hour on Wednesday night, if, if you can do that as well. That That's not what the Word of God is meant for. It is to be this lifelong companion, an intimate friend, a, a close relative. You know, I think someone here, you're always texting or, or, or calling on the phone. That That's the the kind of closeness that the words of God are are to be for the Christian, not not simply something, you know, to use the, this is the way that I put it to my youth confirmands, you know, confirmation is not graduation. Mm -hmm. you're, you're not done learning. And certainly that is a theme here in, in Solomon's writings in these first several chapters of the book of Proverbs. Now he's doing that, as we've said, certainly to guard against adultery here, as well as, and we'll get into this more, the matter of idolatry and falling away from the wisdom that God has. So let's let's keep reading a little bit farther here, Pastor Wargau. He, he introduces the topic of adultery 
in verse five. He says, this wisdom is going to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. We've seen this imagery in in Proverbs already. Solomon continues in verse six. For at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. All right, we'll, we'll pause there. I know that's not too much text, but I think it, it helps us get into the next section, which will be a bit longer, where this, this woman will speak. Pastor Wurgel, Solomon, the picture is he's, he's looking out from his house, and he sees a young man, it sounds like getting too close to temptation at a time when temptation is is right. Take us into these these sure the time when temptation is ripe. Take us into verses six through nine. Yeah, this is really um, this is really something to see. So you have the idea quite uh, pictured here of this a uh, forbidden woman, this this adulteress, and, and we've already heard that she's going to have smooth words. Now those are going to be laid out in ten. I think it's really interesting to see exactly how uh, seductive uh, or or tempting. But yeah, you have the sense that. Uh, looking out and seeing this from a from a bird's eye view, if you will, or from the outside and seeing this young man lacking lacking sense. Uh, in in chapter six and verse thirty two, laid it out pretty clearly. He who commits adultery lacks sense. Uh, he who does it destroys himself. So so the idea here, and I think what we'll see kind of playing out from this is the idea that that, that temptation enters, and that it speaks contrary to truth and to sensibility, uh, that it might seem in the temptation to be the more sensible thing, but it really is, has no sense. Because where does then our wisdom, where does our sense uh, come from? It comes from God's word and his commandments, uh, not from our sinful fallenness, uh, which despises that word and those commandments, but true wisdom, true knowledge, true sense if that, in, in that way uh, comes from God's word, which again, we'll see forbids these kind of things. Um, and then notice this too, uh, that it's in uh, the twilight, uh, in the evening, at the time of uh, at the time of dark of night and darkness. I don't think that's that's inconsequential to, to what's going on here because you you have throughout scripture this idea of, of darkness being equated with with sin. That's what that which is done in darkness. That is, uh, uh, and that the light is that which which reveals reveals that. So, for example, like in uh, John, uh, John 3, John's gospel, uh, uh, the third chapter, verse 19, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, but the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And then also then Paul picks this up in Ephesians, Ephesians 5, when he says, uh, Oh, and I just lost my reference to Ephesians 5 here. <laughs> Let me bring that up here. Ephesians 5, uh, where Paul talks about this uh, in terms of um, uh, the light exposing. He's, he's, you know, he's saying, uh, uh, be imitators of God and walk in, in love. Uh, and it's telling them to actually beware of sexual immorality, impurity, all of those filthy, foolish things and these things that are done in the dark. Uh, uh, he says, take no part in those unfruitful works of the darkness. Ephesians 5.11, but instead expose them. There's a very real sense and a very vivid sense of the idea that what takes place at night under the cover of darkness 
that's when these things take place, such as adultery, fornication. Quite literally, these, these kind of things take place. They can take place in daylight, but we often associate with them and see or associate them and see them taking place in the darkness. Uh, and then, of course, the imagery there of the light exposing those things. And what Jesus brings up with Nicodemus is that idea that that people don't want that. They don't want their deeds to ex be exposed. Um, and, and we'll see that uh, with, the, with the adulteress here in her talk and, and, and such is that uh, there's a sense of security that we find in these things when they're being done and they're not being exposed because they, they feel good. They, they look pleasing. Uh, but the light is the truth and the light which shines into that is what, what really reveals, reveals the truth. And we see then that what's done in the darkness with this adultery and these sorts of things only leads to death, but the light of Christ, which exposes those things and we, we could say brings us to repentance and bestows upon us the forgiveness of sins, uh, is the way to life. So with, with that then, Pastor Wargel with this matter of adultery being clearly laid out here already. We've got about five minutes here on this side of the break. Give us at least an introduction then as to how this matter of adultery and the language that Solomon uses here and will continue to use also applies to the matter of idolatry and false doctrine. Yeah, I think we just see a bigger picture. Now, this, of course, is not going to be to to say that adultery doesn't matter, quite the opposite. But I think we see a bigger picture here that's spoken throughout Scripture of the relationship of God with his people uh, and his forbidding of idolatry or having other gods and the relationship of that. Uh, an image there we have of, of basically uh, God and his people being married to each other. And we see this ultimately fulfilled in Christ in, in Ephesians 5 again, right? We have this idea of Christ, the, the, the uh, bridegroom and his church, the bride. But even before that, we have so many examples throughout Scripture when God talks about being a husband to his people. Uh, so just one quick example before we get to the break. You have this kind of this establishment, and this takes place through the, the covenant relationship. Uh, that God has with Israel, covenant relationship as a husband and a wife. And you see them there too, the, the fidelity that God demonstrates that he loves his bride uh, as a husband loves uh, his wife. Uh, and he says, Jeremiah 31, 31 and 32, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. And in Isaiah 54 as well, verse 5, uh, God declares for, or, or Isaiah declares concerning God, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. Uh, and, and there's other imagery too. Joel 1.8 uh, talks about um, the bridegroom uh, lamenting like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. Because then you see what happens with Israel is in their idolatry is really tantamount to adultery. They've abandoned, they've been unfaithful, and they've gone astray. Keep keep going, okay. Pastor Wargo. You still got a few minutes. <laughs> okay, good. I just want to make sure we didn't run out of time. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and then we know the famous example in Hosea, right? Hosea 1-2, where the Lord tells Hosea to, to, to take himself a wife of whoredom, if you, uh, is how the ESV translates it, and have children, the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. This idea of uh, the unfaithfulness of Israel 
uh, and really of all mankind in going away from that God who has created them and for Israel, that God that made that covenant with his people. And yet they go after what is more pleasing. Uh, and that we see then with this adulteress uh, in, in Proverbs 7, that is which is more pleasing is what they go after. But then what's so significant about this imagery that kind of played throughout the Old Testament is that God continues to call his bride to return. So you get this in Isaiah 64. The Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. And that just brings up so much more fully than this Ephesians 5. Uh, 25 through 33, which we're all familiar with probably. If you've been to a Lutheran wedding, you probably had this as the epistle reading uh, a lot of times if you didn't have uh, 1 Corinthians 13. But we all know this. This is in the table of duties, but the idea that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That Christ, of course, this imagery is not just in Ephesians 5. It's throughout the New Testament and, and, and the Gospels that Christ is the bridegroom and his church is the bride because he has called her, he has cleansed her, and he is faithful to her so much that he laid down his life for her. And in the same way, husbands should love their wives and lay down their, li their lives for their wives. Uh, and again, as Paul says then in, in 5.32, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church, that there's this picture, this icon in that relationship. So then we circle back and we can see that then play into what we're really talking about here, a bigger picture that even if you're keeping the sixth commandment, adultery as idolatry is still the chief danger. Yeah, and, and that's the wisdom that Solomon would seek to impart to avoid both the adultery against the Sixth Commandment and idolatry against the First. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. Looking at Proverbs chapter 7, we're going to take a short break, but we will be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, September 8th. We are studying Proverbs chapter 7, verses 1 through 27. We've got Pastor Sam Wergau with us. He serves at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana. Pastor Wergau, prior to the break, we looked at verses 1 through 9. Solomon, again, has instructed his son to hold on to this word of God, which is true wisdom, in order to keep himself from adultery. And we, we've talked about that relationship between adultery and idolatry that we see in the scriptures. The, the way that the scene has been set for us right now is that Solomon has this bird's eye view of a young man who lacks sense. He doesn't realize what's going on. He's put himself in a very precarious situation. He's passing along near the corner where this forbidden woman lives. It's dark. 
the time when sin would take place, the time when sin would seek to shroud itself, particularly sins of adultery. That's the situation he's put himself into. It's almost as if he doesn't realize the great danger that he's in. And so Solomon is using this to warn him of that great danger. And the scene continues. We're going to pick up the text here in Proverbs 7, verse 10. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. We'll, we'll pause there with, with this forbidden woman's speech. So, Pastor Wargout, the scene set, this, this young man, senseless young man that he is, has gone and put himself in this precarious situation, and the forbidden woman meets him. Solomon says she's dressed as a prostitute, she's wily of heart, she's loud, she's wayward, and and she's everywhere at once, it seems. And, and this is where I think you know we have to understand this is poetry. So so the the picture that's being painted here as this adulterous woman, her temptation is any place, well, I mean, to to go off anytime, anywhere. That's KFUO, right? Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. The temptation of this adulteress is anytime, anywhere, it seems. Yeah, I think it paints the the, the reality of the situation in, in very good poetic language about where this temptation is found. I, I think, like we've been talking, I think you can see it in, in a twofold way. I think very really, and and especially, I mean, I think it's been the case in every generation, but but especially in our generation, you see this very literally uh, temptations to sin against the sixth commandment, and not just in adultery, but in any in in any um, uh, sexual impurity, uh, any unchastity are <laughs> quite literally on every street and every market and every corner. Uh, it lies in wait all over our world and in our culture. It's so uh, pervasive uh, that we we especially keep it on guard as parents for our children, right? To understand that that the internet with um, with with and even without the internet, you just you see it everywhere in culture, in entertainment, and everything. And I think what we see here is it can be very much masked, so that we don't see it as the danger that it is. It can be very subtle. It can be and and such uh, that that we don't see these attacks are coming from everywhere and we don't see quite how dangerous or deadly they are and how much they pick at and, and, and erode and slowly consume, uh, the Christian, uh, and, and, and consume the person because it is such a, uh, constant barrage that takes place, which is so very true. And we need to be well aware of it with sins against the sixth commandment, sexual sins, uh, sexual immorality, impurity, uh, all those things, rightly so. Even more so should we be aware that uh, the temptations to any idolatry, any sin, any deviation from God's word and his will for our lives are present in every 
uh, street and market and every corner, always lying in wait. This this brought up to mind uh, just rec- just now a great quote from 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 Luther uh, in the Large Catechism uh, under the Sacrament of the Altar uh, when he's talking about the devil. And he says, uh, the devil, the scripture called him a liar and a murderer, a liar who entices the heart away from God's word and blinds it, making you unable to feel your need or to come to Christ, a murderer who begrudges you every hour of your life. And here's the quote here. If you could see how many daggers, spears, and arrows are aimed at you every moment, you would be glad to come to the sacrament, sacrament of the altar as often as you can. So I think that really does play in play into give us give us an idea of we need to be aware and God's word makes us aware of this by by his holy law and and, and seeing our, our lives and our situations in relationship to that. Just how many dangers are out there um, for the family, for the Christian, uh, as, as an individual, as a family, as a couple, all these kind of things that attack uh, the Christian. And then I just love how Luther points that is then it's not only that all these patients are around you, but the faithfulness of God for you in the midst of those that he gives you a refuge and a rock to flee to. And that is his word and his sacraments uh, uh, to, to escape that and, and to be absolved and forgiven from that, uh, from those sins. Now, that, that's a great quote to bring out from Luther at this point. And it too, I mean, it, this ties in very nicely with what we were saying from the beginning of the text, the matter of binding these words on your fingers, writing them on the tablet of your heart, seeing wisdom as this uh, close relative and intimate friend. If there's all these attacks coming at you, then how great is this need to keep wisdom close by? And as you said, I mean, th- that wisdom, is, as Solomon is giving it, certainly is, is the word of God, which we would write on our heart that we would learn, not just in Bible class and worship, but all the time, and also in that great gift of the sacrament as well. So with these constant attacks come the constant need for the strength that God alone can give. And, and as you said, Pastor Wergout, this applies then not only to the, the rampant temptation that we see in our world concerning matters against the sixth commandment, but also against matters concerning the first commandment as well. Yeah, exactly. I think there's so much that, and and the sixth commandment I I think is subtle sometimes, but it is a lot more obvious in a lot of ways. I mean, I think we still need to be on guard that that uh, sexual impurity and uh, unchastity can find its way very subtly and it can look very pleasing uh, and, and, uh, uh, like the better route or better option on things, or, or very innocent, and sometimes I think even more subtle are other sins too that 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 tempt us, uh, such as uh, anger, covetousness, um, uh, uh, speaking uh, ill of our neighbor, and, and and speaking untrue things about our neighbor. You know, all of these things are constantly attacking us, and ultimately, the biggest attack that comes upon us by the devil is not only these temptations to sin, but again, the temptation against the first commandment. Insofar as not only does the devil want you to sin, but he also wants you to look either to yourself for salvation, to your works, to your righteousness, to your good behavior, or to just completely despair, to lead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice, because he doesn't just want you to sin, he wants you to die. That is, he doesn't want you to believe in your Savior uh, and to, uh, to die eternally. Now, Pastor Wargo, the the great chunk of the text that we've been looking at, verses 10 through 20, isn't simply the matter of this woman's temptation being everywhere, but particularly this lengthy speech that she gives. Uh, 
what what do you see there? One of the things that that stands out to me is right away, she says, I, I had to offer sacrifices. Today I have paid my vows. She starts off with very religious sounding language. The temptation looks, I mean, the the momentary pleasure that she offers is is quite alluring. What do you see here in the speech that she makes to allure this young man who has put himself in the way of temptation? Yeah, it's something to say that she's trying to uh, get this young man to make a decision, right? To, 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 to go with, with her, uh, which, which is what temptation really is making these, making these choices and, and being lured into them. And you're right there in 14, she really couches it in, in very pious religious language. They're right at the beginning, kind of this idea of sacrifice, paying vows, that there's the sense that this is, this is okay. This is good because it falls within this understanding of, uh, of, 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 of religious or, um, spiritual, things. Uh, but even then she keeps kind of going on, um, that, that this is something she desires this, this young man, she, she was looking for him and she's found him, how great this is. And look at how wonderful this situation is that, that it's very alluring, this idea of having a perfumed bed. And then, uh, that, that this will find delight in this delight ourselves with love. Uh, remember this is in the evening and this is the idea of doing this at, 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 at night under the cover of darkness, uh, that this is an okay thing. And then, yeah, in 19 and, and 20, it is the thing where, well, this, this young man should realize that this is wrong because, well, this, this adulteress has a, has a husband. That's, she's an adulteress. Uh, but it will be okay, according to the adulteress, because he's not around right? We can get away with this thing. Nobody has to know. That's how much so much sin is so secretive, right? It's the idea that nobody else knows your sins typically until they're revealed, they're exposed, but you and maybe another party involved in that, especially with things like adultery and stuff. But, uh, but sometimes it's just you know your sins. Um, but, but we see then, of course, uh, that, th- that this is just coming off as this harmless, but it's deception. And then that's going to actually be shattered so much more by uh, the following following verses when you get into 21 and 27, where it's really laid out what the end of these things are, whether you're caught or whether you're not caught. What is the objective ruling and, and standard by which you will be judged uh, concerning these things? So, I mean, a, a, maybe a, a threefold way of looking at this. The, the temptation seems appealing because, one, it, it seems okay religiously. Maybe if I could, I, I don't, maybe this is the best paraphrase, but verse 14, the adulterer says, look, I've, I've just been to church, everything's okay. Mm-hmm. And, and then the matter of, so there's, there's a religious sort of appeal here. There's a, an appeal to the pleasure of it. And then there's appeal to the the getting away with it. My, my husband's gone. And, and those three combined provide this very strong allure for this young man who's put himself in this precarious situation to join into this adultery. And, and so, Pastor Wargel, how does, how does that also then apply, because we've been making this all along, to the matter not only of, of adultery, the sixth commandment, but also to the first? Yeah, I mean, I think this is how all temptations to sin kind of operate in our minds and our self-justification uh, when we're when we're tempted by these things that that it that that it's going to be a better thing. That sin sin sounds good, sin feels good, sin looks good, no matter what it is, because we're giving into our natural sinful falling inclinations, right? Uh, and so it, we tend to, to to view these things before or in the act uh, any sin that we commit. 
uh, anytime uh, as, as kind of a better way. God, God gives all these commandments because he doesn't want us to have fun, right? Uh, he wants to keep us bound. And, and, and what, what we want is freedom to do these things, to enjoy these things. But what we see then is that what we think is freedom is actually bondage to sin and to death. Uh, and so I, you know, it kind of deals with all the sins. And again, the consequences of that is, is death. And that, that's the case, whether we're caught or not, uh, whether this is, you know, seemingly, uh, pious or religious, uh, or, uh, it, it looks delightful and, um, uh, pleasing and that it's, it's sort of secretive or it's not going to hurt anybody. It's, it's just between me and the other, whether that's the case or not, God knows this and he is the judge of it. His law stands over it, whether you like it or not. <laughs> and, and, and ultimately that's going to be the judgment, the measure by which according to uh, God's law, we would be measured against uh, apart from being redeemed from the curse of the law by uh, our savior, Christ Jesus. So the, the trap has been set. This great alluring temptation has been laid. And now Solomon, for the sake of his son and giving him this wisdom, is going to lay bare the reality and show him what this situation truly looks like. So we'll continue with the text, the rest of the chapter, Proverbs 7, beginning now at verse 21. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once he follows her, as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me, and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways, do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. That is where chapter 7 ends here in Proverbs. So, Pastor Wargal, we've got just over 10 minutes here to look at these verses. Uh, again, the, the imagery is something we, we shouldn't miss, the way that Solomon in verses 21 through 23 compares the situation to a, a, an animal walking into a trap and not realizing it, that, that it's about to cost it its life. That's what this young man has done to himself by following the adulteress. He, he's going to his death. It's not a, not a pretty picture. Right, exactly. Uh, you know, uh, of course, this imagery is just very vivid, but it does relate uh, does relate to this understanding that we see in twenty one about that this is all done with seductive speech. Mm -hmm. uh, she's persuading him, uh, you know. Elsewhere in uh, in uh, um, Proverbs, earlier in Proverbs, we have the the idea of the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey, or her speech is smoother than oil. In Proverbs five three, uh, the idea here is that uh, the the adulterous woman has a smooth tongue. We've seen that with her kind of her speech and how she's going about trying to persuade. Now, again, we really want to see this in relation to the bigger picture too. So not only do sexual sins and adultery, it seems like the better thing. And, and often you run into these kind of situations with, with a couple where there has been the sin of adultery. Uh, and, and, and it's done because, well, 
this person's my soulmate. You know, I'm married to this one, but this person I truly love. They're my soulmate. And there's this just seduction and um, uh, it seems very pleasing and right, but it's not. Uh, the bigger thing though, too, to see with all idolatry and false teaching is that it sounds really good, right? False teaching sounds great, especially when you get more into uh, practical situations when you're dealing with the word of God, when it really drives home into our sinful hearts and situations. Uh People don't want to hear God's law. They don't want to hear the truth of God because we're all, by nature, self-justifying sinners. We always think we're not that bad uh, or, you know, there might be certain things that are wrong with us, but certainly not that thing, right? Uh, and, and that relates to, I think this brought up to mind when Paul's uh, talk, uh, writing to, to young Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 4, when he says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths, right? I think that really, really relates to what we're dealing here with the idea of the seductive speech. People don't, false teachings pleasing to our ears, but objectively, ultimately, it is a lie because what endures forever is the word of the Lord, his truth, his wisdom. Uh, it may seem better, more easy, more fun, even more loving to abandon God's word and his commandments, but in reality, it's not. Uh, in reality, God's word and his ways are the best ways because he loves us. So this adulterous woman does not actually love the man. No matter how much she says she does or how She's speaking uh, these pleasing words. She doesn't actually love him. And the devil, uh, the devil actually does not care about you. But God does care about you. He cares about you by giving you his word and, and even giving you his law, his will, how he would have you to live, not to justify you, but in order that you would be uh, guided in his word and pointed even more to your Savior, Christ Jesus. So ultimately, he loves you and he shows you that love in giving his son, your redeemer. Uh, that's what these commandments, wisdom of God, the promises of God all point to Christ to release you from that condemnation of the law and to give you life. So we see the end of these things, the end of sin, uh, the end of all the temptations and seduction of the adulteress of any form of adultery or idolatry is ultimately death. And it's laid really clear, really plain uh, that, that not only temporal death, uh, but eternal death. Uh, her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of, of death. So this isn't just, just a, a, a temporal thing, but this is an, an eternal thing. Apart from Christ uh, and his word and his forgiveness and his promises and faith in that, uh, we're going to be led down to Sheol, to death. Uh, but it is because, and, and we do it seemingly, you know, we're unaware even of this when we're falling into these sins and into these uh, things like a, an ox to slaughter, stag who's caught fast, or a bird rushes into a snare. These are all traps that catch the un, uh, unwitting, the, uh, the unknowing person. Uh, uh, we fall into these things. But by God's word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, we know the way to truth. And we have the one who uncomplaining, knowing where he's going, goes forth to slaughter as the lamb, the lamb going uncomplainingly forth to bear the sins of the world. That that image of the bird rushing into a snare 
unaware brought brought back to mind from Proverbs 1, there was that same image used in a slightly different way. The, the way Solomon wrote it there in, in 117, he wrote, in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. So if the bird sees the trap there, mm-hmm. the bird's not going to go into it, which I, I think is is the the way that Solomon is is imploring his son there in verse 24. He's, he's telling his son, look, here's the trap, son. Don't step in into it. And and as you said, the reason behind that, especially when we understand that this isn't simply Solomon giving just fatherly advice to a son, but this is the word of the Lord coming to the Christian. The reason behind it is because the father actually does love us. Our God actually does love us, whereas the adulterous woman does not love the man, and and Satan certainly does not love us, and and their ways would lead to death. And the one of the things that really stands out to me as as Solomon concludes his appeal there, is is as he describes the results of all this. You know, he, in verse twenty six he says, "For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng." So, and I think the the image is twofold there that not only has has adultery and idolatry uh, gotten a hold of many, but but they have gotten a hold of the mighty, that even those who thought themselves strong have put themselves in such precarious situations, and they too have fallen victim to adultery and to idolatry. The, the words from uh, from St. Paul in, I think, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, don't think you're so strong that you you'll always stand. Take take heed lest you too fall. Seems to be some of the warning that's that's going on here in Proverbs chapter 7. Again, both in terms of adultery sins against the 6th commandment as well as idolatry sins against the 1st. Pastor Workout, we've got about 3 and a half minutes here left for our time together this morning. Help us to draw this together. And, and as you've been doing already, use this text to point us to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think the point that you just brought up, I think, was very, very important. And the idea that even the strong are caught by this adulteress or caught in the snares, whatever it may be. And, and, and of course, that quote from St. Paul is, is, is so important, too, because we need to understand where this is driving us to is not to our own strength and not to our own exaltation. Uh, like Jesus says, you know, in, in, in St. Luke's gospel, when he says, uh, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And the point of the idea is to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he will lift us up. Uh, to, 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 to humble ourselves, to not stand upon our own strength uh, against, you know, to be on guard against temptation, but to understand that by our own reason or strength, we cannot resist this temptation. So I, th- I think the ultimate call here is, is to find our strength, to find our life, to find our way in that word of God, but not simply, not simply um, by our uh, obedience to it, because what it's going to ultimately show is that we are not obedient to it, that we sin, that we do fail. We don't want to become self-righteous because then we'll become self-justifying. Uh, we'll look at, I didn't commit adultery. Uh, I haven't done these sins. When we really examine ourselves, according to God's law, we see how often we've sinned and how real the danger is. Now, that should drive us then to Christ to be our strength and our rock and our refuge and our uh, 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 escape from these temptations. So so what I, I want kind to of sum up here, I think, is pretty important for us for what our whole Christian life is in view of both 
adultery, but also idolatry. The whole Christian life, which is succumb and or is is not succumb is 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 attacked and, and surrounded by uh, the evils of this world. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, because there's constantly these attacks of the devil and the world, and even getting so close to home to be our own sinful hearts and flesh. But yet we are ones who are redeemed by Christ the crucified. So the warning is ultimately to drive us to repentance and to a life of repentance, even as the Christian life is one where we are watching and being alert to the dangers that surround us. So you think in that line too of um, uh, uh, when uh, Paul write, or Peter writes uh, to, uh, that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Uh, resist him firm in the faith right? Firm in that faith uh, and trust in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the words of God, which are eternal life. So we must understand that we are in this danger and that even our own sinful human flesh is fragile. Uh, We can, we do fail, we do sin, and we are taken in by the deceptive nature of sin and false doctrine. Now, that's not an excuse for us to continue in that, but this passage is uh, in, in Proverbs 7, as all passages of Scripture, are to drive us even more so to our Savior. We don't look to ourselves, but to that Word of God, which doesn't only teach us the truth of God's law, right? It does do that, but it teaches the truth of God's promises in Christ Jesus, who's our wisdom in our life. Uh, God's Word doesn't just teach us these facts, but God's Word is a performative Word. It's a Word that accomplishes what it sets forth, like the sower and the seed, right? It does what it says. And so we're uh, drawn to that word, to that wisdom, to that truth of God, so that Christ would be our wisdom and our life. Again, the end of this stuff with the adulteress, with temptation, with idolatry, anything apart and contrary to God's word is death. But with Christ are the very words of eternal life. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And and those words are ultimately find their fulfillment in that one who redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse, saved us from our sin by his blood, and who has become to us, going back here to this marriage uh, imagery, has become to us a faithful bridegroom. And we are his bride, the church. And he has laid down his life and washed us clean in his blood. And we rejoice in being part of that bride, uh, his church, uh, even unto life everlasting, you know, of course, Revelation, the imagery of the uh, marriage feast of the Lamb and his kingdom, which has no end. Pastor Sam Wergau is the pastor at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana, helping us this morning with Proverbs chapter 7, verses 1 through 27. Pastor Wergau, thanks for being our guest today. Oh, always a pleasure. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.